0: Project Palisade Part 2 Universes are being corrupted and destroyed, one by one, for reasons unknown. The foundation of the primary universe seems to be well aware of this, and have created something known as Project Palisade in order to protect the humanity of their universe. Whatever Project Palisade is, they're keeping the secret pretty close to their chest, ...and it doesn't seem to be saving any of the other universes in existence. Some individuals seem to be actively spreading this corruption effect to other universes... ...apparently in an effort to spare their own. If one of the Black Queen's theories is correct, this works because what's actually destroying these universes... ...is an entity of some sort, attracted to this corrupted material. Although they wouldn't be saving their own universe only delaying the inevitable. With all that in mind, let's finally learn what Project Palisade is. Project Palisade is listed as a proposal for the SCP-001 slot, although we're immediately informed that Project Palisade is in fact not an SCP-001 file. It represents itself as one, has all the proper 001 protections and requirements, and can only be entered into the database as a 001 file, but all of the data contained in the file comes from some universe other than the primary one. None of the data in the file was created or altered by any known member of the Foundation, and its origin remains unknown. Sometime after it was placed on the database, all of the data was removed for some reason, and all personnel simultaneously lost memory of the data's existence. A couple of months later, the data was restored, but with significant changes, along with some of the memories of the personnel, but not enough to really remember the original. That means we can't ever really be sure what this file originally said. It begins with something referred to as the Foundation Oath, which reads We affirm that we are the original, true Foundation. We represent mainline reality. The original unaltered timeline. Our humanity must be held paramount over the humanity of any inhabitants of mirror timelines. The survival of mainline reality shall always be held paramount over the survival of any mirror timeline, or any other parallel or alternate universe. We are the foundation, the bedrock on which all of reality rests. For the sake of us all, We cannot fail. Since this apparently comes from some other universe than the one we normally associate with, this raises an eyebrow. It lists Project Palisade as Thaumiel class, meaning that it's an anomaly that helps the Foundation function in some way. It stresses the need for absolute secrecy of the project, and goes into the standard operating procedures. Something known as the Altis engine is used to create a cluster of mirror timelines, solely for the purpose of Project Palisade. One of the Black Queens mentioned moving between clusters previously, so this must be what she was referring to. These mirror timelines are then altered, using controlled restructuring events and utilizing time travel to directly place Foundation agents at key points in history. The timelines are continually monitored and analyzed with those with a high level of reality integrity selected for continued study, while those with a poor integrity level are designated as shield timelines. Proxy agents then attract something referred to as the threat to one of these shield timelines by performing anomalous rituals. All of these proxy agents are mirrors, typically Foundation agents from other timelines. They are sent into one of these shield timelines to attract the threat there, and in exchange their home timeline is protected from the threat, as long as cooperation lasts. This answers our question about Agent Duma from the UIU file, as he came from one of these mirror timelines bringing with him a box of corrupted dirt for the specific purpose of attracting this threat to that timeline and sparing his own. This box of dirt is something they call a vector, an element from the initial shield timeline that serves as a focus of ritual energy and is distributed to chosen neighboring timelines. They do this in order to draw the threat to many different timelines at the same time, delaying the destruction process. Their current standard vector is soil, representing grave dirt, which was suggested to the Foundation by one of the Black Queens. All of the Shield timelines are then evacuated by any Foundation agents from the primary universe, and the timeline is monitored until it's eventually destroyed. This process is continually repeated to ensure that the threat is indefinitely kept away from mainline reality. To recap, then, In the description it states that SCP-001, also known as Project Palisade, is a method of protecting reality from ongoing existential threats. The Foundation creates mirror timelines, alters them to discover methods of defeating threats, and ultimately diverts the largest threats, specifically the primary threat referred to as The Threat and or The Worm to destroy these mirror timelines instead of mainline reality. Every other timeline in which the foundation exists was created by Project Palisade. This means that the foundation has just been creating new universes continually just for the purpose of testing out how to beat the gravest threats in existence, as well as using them as bait for something called the worm which they apparently have no hope of beating, only delaying. I'll note that this is not meant to be the same worm as mentioned in SCP-1461, House of the Worm. The file then gives us some information on the various precursor projects to Palisade, starting with Project Altus. Altus involved the usage of a number of anomalies to create a multiversal creation engine with the goal of creating mirror timelines that can aid the mainline foundation. These would essentially be gigantic petri dishes that the mainline foundation could test and analyze various situations in, with successful timelines being used to aid the mainline foundation with existential threats. These aspects of Project Altus have been shelved, with the Altus engine now entirely being used to create timelines to distract the worms. Project First Strike was a weapons program designed to create a military-grade anomalous weaponry stockpile for use against foreign agents. It was approved on the basis that open anomalous warfare could potentially break out at some point, and the more militant members of the Foundation wished to research the military capabilities of anomalous weaponry. The project eventually led to the discovery of the worm. An interview with the site director after the project's dissolution provides a bit more insight, with Director Johnson referring to it as a glorified weapons program that seems quaint now, since it's been a long time since they've seriously worried about threats coming from home. Even at the time, it wasn't anything to write home about, as they had already been using things like SCP-914, the clockworks, to make all sorts of anomalous weapons first strike led to a large amount of cross-testing between SCPs though, as some of the generals felt that they could learn things faster by knocking anomalies into each other, with Johnson comparing it to his daughter making her dolls kiss. He says that that kind of cross-testing doesn't happen anymore, likely because the Foundation leaders noticed that the stable mirror timelines don't spend much time smashing together anomalies until their universe implodes. The existence of countless mirror realities did allow them to do some rather impressive testing that they normally would never be able to. In one timeline, they were testing simulated defenses against extra dimensional threats, and while testing some sort of weapon they got from an SCP cross test, the monitoring team began reporting some strange readings. They called it extra dimensional contamination but the weapons team continued to test. By the end of the week though, the whole project was on hold, as it came to light that the entire reality was coming apart. Most of them didn't even think that was possible at the time, but they all evacuated the timeline, thinking that it was their fault for doing the weapons testing. Johnson remarks on how funny it is that they felt guilty about the destruction of one timeline, when nowadays they go through them like toilet paper. After a month, they discovered the true reason behind the timeline's destruction, and they wished that it had been because of weapons testing, instead of the worm. Analyzing the destruction of that timeline revealed that there had been a number of tears in the space-time matrix of the reality, which were growing larger at an exponential rate. The Foundation decided that there was no way they could attempt to fix the tears, and so they sealed off access to the timeline. Four days later, the reality vanished, with similar patterns showing up in neighboring timelines. In one of the timelines, they managed to detect the presence of advanced waves caused by an unknown inbound entity, the Worm. Project Forward Insight was initiated to determine the exact nature of this threat, and it's still technically ongoing, as the Foundation doesn't really know much. They did crunch the numbers, however, and figure that the mainline reality will likely be a victim of the worm within 15 years. They continued to research, and eventually found that their reality would actually be destroyed in less than a month, at which point Project Palisade was initiated Personnel from First Strike, Forward Insight, and seventeen other projects were merged into Palisade, and after finding no way to directly contain the worm, they moved forward with attracting it to alternate timelines instead. This was done by utilizing world-altering ritualistic techniques incorporating heavy technological and anomalous aspects. The O5 Council debated for a number of years about actually creating timelines specifically for the purpose of sacrificing them to the Worm, but they eventually approved it. The next part of the document goes over some files that the Foundation has collected across multiple realities that contain references to the Worm itself. The first, titled The Epic of Lathurius, describes the exploits of a mythic hero king. It reads... AND LITHURIUS PASSED THROUGH THE VEIL BEYOND, TO DO BATTLE WITH THE SONS OF THE VOID. AND THE FIRST SON OF THE VOID DID ARISE, THE WORM, HE WHO LIVES BETWEEN, CLEANSER OF realms. AND BOLD LITHURIUS STRODE FORTH, SHINING BRIGHT, THE WHITE KING AND THE WORM LOCKED HORNS. AND TO THIS DAY LITHURIUS STILL FIGHTS. The endless war of our dreams. A creation myth from an alternate earth involves two deific brothers, Kisan and Julu, who became mortal enemies. They were the sons of Father Light and Mother Void, with Kisan blessed with Father Light's speed and Julu blessed with Mother Void's strength. Neither could win against the other, and neither could yield. They then decided to create all the creatures of lands in order to fight one another, for their battle was the battle of all existence. In the stars, the warriors of Kisan and the worms of Julu must submit to their master's wills and war without end. They shall continue until the day when the sun falls into the ocean, the stars fade from the sky, and at last there are no more battles to be fought, and no more lands to be conquered. It is only then that the two brothers' battle will end, but no one could say who will win. In another reality, a renowned seer and mystic wrote a set of religious scriptures that was ruled out of the religious orthodox for its controversial themes. The excerpt reads, At the end of all things is the beginning, and at the beginning of all things is the start of the end. To see how we can find meaning in the present, we must see the end, and lay its lessons bare. It is here, and only here, that we shall find our final and only truth. You see it before you, do you not? Bite into the cold, empty flesh, and feel the void inside. It nourishes not. The anguish, the struggle, and the final lapse— all was for naught. The cycle has continued over and over, but it is here, where the chain is broken, that the truth of its utter emptiness devours us whole. I have seen it all. I have watched as generation upon generation rises, prospers, declines, and falls. I have seen it all in the future, Eons may pass, and yet none realize the truth as our brothers and sisters in the sky begin to fall from their heavenly perches built of sand and lies. I have seen it as they are all plucked from the sky like a farmer scything his crops in the autumn, and with just as little malice. I have seen the lights in the house of heaven twinkle and slowly but surely blink out one by one. The stars do not dance in the great hall any longer and the music of the ethereal dance has faded to a quiet whisper, soon to be silenced forever. I have seen it in all the skies that are possible, and I know that it is the only truth that awaits us when our own voyage must come to an end. When the gods have tumbled from their thrones, and the light has left us for the void, when the worms crawl through our rotten entrails, and the war has claimed another senseless victim, we will at long last understand the final truth. There will be no one left to weep for our passing. Moving on, the Foundation did actually create an SCP designation for the worm, although it has since been removed. The file designated it as Keter Class, although it really should have gotten something a little higher than that, and it was formerly codenamed Primary Existential Threat Alpha. It was renamed by a council vote to the worm in all capital letters based on a recommendation by esoteric containment systems apparently the worm is a good choice as it's one of a selection of terms with cross-dimensional psychic resonance meaning that a large number of realities mention threats referred to as the worm secondly as worms are popularly perceived as being inferior to humans They hope that this may aid in a reality-wide perspective shift, possibly allowing the worm to be better understood by human minds. They also accept the term, the threat, as it seems to be what most people end up calling it. It describes the worm as an extra-dimensional entity that destroys realities slash timelines, although they're really not even sure if it is actually extra-dimensional. They have yet to perceive the worm itself, only its effects, in which it causes realities to break down, ranging from disappearances of physical locales to disappearances of laws of physics, until eventually the timeline disintegrates entirely. They're not really sure how it even does this, but it does seem that the worm only targets unstable timelines, avoiding those with good structural integrity. By purposefully creating unstable timelines, they can thus draw the worm towards them, delaying their own demise. They have no other way to control the worm, and if left unchecked, they believe that it will certainly reach and destroy mainline reality before long. There are some in the minority however that believe by creating more and more timelines for the worm to eat, they're actually giving it more and more power. ...sealing their own demise. They believe that without this abundance of food... ...the worm would have burnt itself out in the vast emptiness between realities. The official foundation stance on this theory is that it is unproven and extraordinarily dubious. That brings us to more information on the specific mechanics of Project Palisade... ...starting with the various traits possessed by the mirror timelines. The timeline always begins as a duplicate of mainline reality, before the foundation begins altering things. Anomalies are always present in the timeline, even if it doesn't appear that way, and civilization never has the capability of creating an exact copy of Project Altus. Some civilizations are allowed to create a similar project, but its capabilities are always altered to protect the mainline reality. Additionally, inhabitants of the Mirror timeline are never able to access mainline reality, although there have been some exceptions. An entity classified as SCP-3812, in its originating timeline, was able to ascend upwards through multiple levels of reality, including the mainline one, although it doesn't seem to have done anything by doing so. Another entity present in a number of timelines, SCP-1985, is capable of spontaneously visiting different realities undergoing apocalyptic scenarios. It ended up in the mainline reality, possibly due to the imminent threat of the worm, and retreated from this reality before it could be apprehended. The mirror timelines also usually possess a number of other traits, although not always. The foundation usually exists in the timeline's modern period, except for specific test cases, and they've usually existed since at least the 1980s, most commonly the 1950s, and often since at least the late 1800s. They are also usually a significant player in Earth's civilization. SCP-173 is generally a constant, contained by the foundation and classified using the number 173, but SCP classified items usually number in the thousands. Typically in these timelines, SCPs are usually horrifying in nature, similar to mainline reality, though there are timelines where this isn't the case. World ending threats are also usually present, but typically in forms which the foundation is theoretically able to temporarily contain or survive. Most timelines feature the same SCPs as mainline reality, although there are gaps present in their databases if one doesn't exist. The mainline foundation often uses designations such as SCP-001 or SCP-1000 in these timelines to test out key variants of anomalies. Finally, both anomalous groups of interest, as well as reality benders, generally exist in mirror timelines. The Altus engine works by creating not just new timelines, but actually creating clusters of connected timelines. Clusters always have either low variance, high interconnectivity, or rarely, both. Low variance means that the timelines will be very similar to one another, such as the only differences being left-handedness being more common than right, or holidays a day later than normal. High interconnectivity means that the timelines are connected in many ways, allowing for short-range interdimensional travel, most commonly through ways, or portals. The cluster that the mainline reality is in is high variance and high interconnectivity. Most of the neighboring timelines didn't even feature humans at all, but the interconnectivity allows for numerous anomalous gateways. Most of their cluster has already been destroyed by the worm. This brings us to a discussion about the structural integrity of each of these timelines, and what it means to have a high or low integrity. Truth be told, the foundation doesn't know what exactly it is that gives a timeline high integrity or low integrity, but they can say one way or another which it is. They also don't know what causes a reality to suddenly change structural integrity, just that it happens. Big restructuring events generally instigated by the mainline foundation can change a timeline's structural integrity, but it can either strengthen it or weaken it, with no guess as to why. The foundation's usage of time travel also alters structural integrity, but so does the simple passage of time. The foundation also measured their own reality at the start of Project Palisade, finding its integrity to be extremely weak for reasons unknown. Since then, the integrity has changed, again for reasons unknown. Only the O5 council knows how strong the integrity of the reality is at this point, and they're not sane. Generally, when the foundation begins altering a timeline, it results in a loss of reality integrity, but it also occasionally results in incredibly strong reality integrity. This raises the question of just moving the mainline humanity from this reality to another one, one that's really stable. The problem with this is that that act would likely result in a massive change to the reality's integrity, possibly painting a big target on their backs for the worm. Instead, all mirror timelines, regardless of integrity, are to be used for various purposes for Project Palisade, as that is what they were made for. A doctor in charge of things says that even he doesn't know how many mirror timelines have been destroyed so far, comparing it to drops of water in the ocean. Project Palisade was first implemented in 2007, utilizing SCP-173 as the baseline for the first test runs of new timelines. These first test runs created both a large number of timelines that were soon destroyed by the worm as well as some that possessed high reality integrity scores, and are still in existence today. As the project continued, many of the alternate foundations were encouraged to adopt anomalous weaponry programs, most of which became failed timelines. Some did succeed however, particularly those centered around the existence of Mobile Task Force Omega-7, an experimental MTF that utilizes SCP-076, ABLE. The foundation of the mainline reality did end up losing a number of people on excursions to mirror timelines, at which point they turned to recruiting proxy agents rather than using mainline personnel. Agent Duma from the beginning of this scenario is one of these. Their first test run ended up resulting in a majority of extremely low-quality timelines, which was beneficial for the purposes of Palisade. Most of the mirror timelines exhibited hostile environments, and if humans were present, they exhibited irrational and violent behavior. A number of clusters also simply vanished without a trace or explanation, perhaps due to the worm or perhaps due to other reasons. Their next test run of timeline creations continued to use SCP-173 as a baseline, along with a few other key variants, such as SCP-529, Josie the Half Cat. By 2008, they had moved on past the test runs and were now creating timelines in mass. They had also standardized the rituals for altering the timelines, and had began using a number of key variants to distinguish different timelines, classifying them as SCP-001. This would be the explanation for why there are so many proposals for SCP-001. Later in 2011, they began adding more key variants in specific four-digit slots. 1000, 2000, 3000, etc. In 2013, they began experimenting with creating timelines based not around a specific SCP, but rather around different scenarios or canons, such as the end of death. They also expanded the focus on items held or assessed by other anomalous groups of interest. The O5 Council has been asked multiple times of why they continue with Project Palisade rather than focusing on protecting mainline reality from the worms. The answer is pretty simple though, of course, and that's because Project Palisade works, and they don't care about other realities as long as the mainline one is safe. The file for Project Palisade ends with some text from an unknown individual that has been commenting at various points throughout the document. It reads, Sometimes I dream there's a greater foundation out there. A true, original foundation, without the endless horror of what we've done. A reality not rotten, and mundane, and disappointing. A foundation that actually deserved to survive, deserved to be the first. Sometimes, I think we're all just caught up in a fever dream, Like we're all in a bottle somewhere being experimented on by some outsider, seeing what the Foundation would do, given all the power we could imagine, and an excuse to justify anything. Sometimes I wonder if this is why no one has come to stop us. If not God or gods, surely there must be something out there. Surely there must be something that values the infinite uncountable lives we've sacrificed. Unless those lives and those minds are only shadows on a wall. Unless we are manipulated like puppets the way we manipulate everyone else. But wouldn't that just be too easy if I never did any of the things I know I did? What gives us the right to do this? Are we the first? What if there are a thousand, thousand mainline realities and a thousand, thousand Project Palisades? What if there aren't? What if there are other mainline realities, but we're the only ones with a Project Palisade? If we're the only ones who ever made all of you, how would we ever know? If you're reading this, you're part of the wall. I just want you to know that I'm sorry, but not sorry enough to stop. We don't die in the dark so you can live in the light. We live in the dark. Alone. That's not quite the end though, as there's another related SCP file from the reality we're usually familiar with, SCP-3591. 3591 is the apparent corpse of a massive entity. They're not quite sure due to the difficulties in observation, but it has characteristics of both a biological organism and a mobile mechanical structure. It's believed to be roughly humanoid, but anyone that looks at it expresses uncertainty about that, reporting an additional impression ...behind or disguised by the humanoid form. People usually mention a fallen tower, a moving chasm in the ground... ...a spacecraft resembling a cetacean or other large animal... ...a faraway figure with its back turned, and a partially broken moon. Beyond that, the Foundation can confirm that it is physically massive able to cover hundreds of square kilometers, it possesses limbs, some of which most likely could be used for locomotion were it alive, and it's capable of distorting reality, both of itself and where it's located. As for where it's located, it's in the remains of a suburb in California, where it reportedly fell from the sky or from somewhere unknown, destroying the town and surrounding area. Everything about its arrival is inconclusive due to the difficulty people have in perceiving it. Some described it as a crashing spaceship or UFO, some described it as a falling giant, and some described a hostile military engagement that resulted in its death. No military forces, anomalous or otherwise, were known to be present at the time. A small number of the witnesses recall watching it die, but can't specify any details. Seven months after discovery, they found that there are a number of incisions or doorways on the giant's exterior, allowing for interior access. An MTF was sent in to investigate, starting with one of the limbs. The group discusses whether or not this thing's even dead, but apparently they had another MTF, an anomalous one known as the silencers that deal with the undead, confirm that it's definitely dead. They approach the entity and report what exactly each of them are seeing when looking at it. One sees a giant face and arm, but she can't make out the rest of it, remarking on the size of the entity. She says that its face looks like a classical giant, almost human, but she can't say exactly what makes it not human, as if it might have bug eyes and feelers at any moment. Another member says that they see a starship, like something from an old sci-fi novel or Star Trek, with big sweeping curves. They also say that it looks damaged from battle, but it's kind of breathtaking. Another sees a roughly humanoid form, superimposed over a fallen tower, reminiscent of a ruined medieval castle, but futuristic or alien in a way. The fourth member sees a shifting image of a moving city, half broken and made of brightly colored crystals and stones, but also sees a void in reality, a dead snowy forest, ...and a huge infinite pit with a cracked glass pathway over it. The team continues on to one of the incisions in the limb, and remarks again on what they see. One sees it as a gaping wound. Another sees it as kind of a incision, but also a crumbling stone doorway. The third sees it as a damaged spaceship entrance. And the fourth sees it as a crystal archway, or a gap in the trees or a tunnel into a cavern, or a void on all sides. All of them thus remark that it's damaged in some way, and not a natural opening. As they enter into some sort of hallway or pathway in the limb, they continue to see different things, either an organic interior, or a cracked stone hallway, or a futuristic metallic one. The fourth member, who has been shifting between a number of perspectives, can't seem to resolve any one image anymore, blaming it on her extrasensory perception training. It could be a sort of defense mechanism, or it's just not from this reality at all. The feed with the MTF cuts out for a minute, and when it comes back, all of the members are seen staring at one another in surprise. They report that they all experienced something like a noise or an echo. They experience it again a short time later, at which point they feel that the interior of the entity is growing smaller around them. A third cutout occurs, and when it resumes 11 minutes later, the camera feeds show the team running through empty space. The feeds cut out again for 36 minutes at which point they're seen exiting from the entity, exhausted. None of them can recall what exactly happened, but they did manage to retrieve a sample from the interior. It seems to be the corpse of a non-carbon based life form, the size of a small dog, with 13 legs, a chitinous exoskeleton, and no head. Around two days later, It was discovered that the entrance they used in the limb was closed, so the team volunteered to head straight into the body this time. The video and audio feeds were in even worse shape for this trip, so a lot is cut out. They come across a large area with no visible walls, and the ground is littered with an assortment of corpses. Later they come across a large, complex, floating device of many moving metallic parts, with one side heavily charred and partially melted. Curiously, all of them perceive the device in the exact same way, unlike everything else here. Later, they're seen standing at the edge of a massive drop-off with no bottom visible. The one member with the shifting view sees a glowing, thin object in the center of the void, stretching vertically across the entire view. Scattered around the team are numerous unidentifiable objects that seem to be alien devices. The team is heard conversing with one another, although the audio continues to cut out. The member that can see the thin light says that it's the first thing here that she can understand, since her brain can't process seeing so many things simultaneously. Everyone else that sees different things here is only seeing part of the truth. She suspects that something is trying to make people understand what happened to 3591. Possibly something on a lower level of reality than 3591, but still a higher reality than humanity. She suspects that whatever it is, it feels bad for 3591 because it was a faceless grunt in a war that we'll never understand, forgotten by its own people, and never understood by lower civilizations. The thin light is some sort of shrapnel from whatever killed it, symbolized as broken pieces of a spear. The team then hears what seems to be a distorted low roar, before the feed cuts out again. When it resumes, all of the team members are seen laughing and talking to unseen entities, speaking in an unknown language. The feed cuts out again, resuming with them all lying on the ground, showing no signs of life. Twelve and a half hours later, they're seen exiting 3591, alive and uninjured. They recall little of what happened inside, even of the stuff recorded on video. Analysis shows that they are indeed the same members that went in, but they also did die for between 13 and 16 hours before being brought back to life, somehow. They each recounted that they experienced some sort of drastic mental effect, which killed them, but they couldn't recall the details. They state that there are living entities inside of the giant, possibly dangerous ones, and they claim that they were in there for a week. They each feel a strong personal drive to go back in, and so after a mandatory three-month leave, they're sent back in, to the head this time. Most of the feed for this one is lost, but they're seen walking through a network of smaller rooms, each of them seeing it as different things such as a castle with physically impossible geometries, or a spaceship command deck, or a spiraling glass path over a black void. All of them show numerous examples of alien devices, as well as non-hostile living organisms. They then come across a live, human being, lying comatose underneath a table, naked with no identifying features. The team lifts and carries the human out of the area, and three days go by with no camera feed. It resumes as three of the four members emerge from the entity's head, still carrying the comatose human. One of the team is severely injured from slashing cuts, and none of them recall much. Apparently, the team member with the extrasensory training sacrificed herself to save the injured member's life. Even though she was supposed to die according to the team Aside from that they only remember finding the comatose human A month later the fourth team member emerged from 3591 With severe injuries and remembering little We'll get to what she and the comatose human have to say in a bit, but if you recall from before I mentioned an SCP that could visit worlds undergoing apocalyptic scenarios, 1985. 1985 can be sent off to random realities, but she can also be primed by having her interact with other anomalies in order to increase her chance of visiting realities affected by said anomaly. 1985 was primed with SCP-3591 in order to try visiting a reality that might be undergoing some sort of apocalyptic scenario related to it. She ended up visiting over 100 realities, in which it was present in some way, although many of them were similar to one another. A number of them were Earths, identical to our own, but some had been stripped of human life, either before or after the arrival of 3591. In some realities, Earth had been broken in half and rendered uninhabitable. In a couple of these realities, humans continued to survive in space stations, but they drove 1985 off with advanced weaponry when contact was attempted. A large number of realities had undergone a total shift in the nature of reality, making them incomprehensible to 1985 senses. In 37 other realities, Earth had undergone some sort of apocalypse killing off 70 to 90% of humanity. Minor reality shifts were common, and massive indistinct entities possibly related to 3591 were sighted striding through deserted towns and cities. In one unique timeline, Earth had been rendered uninhabitable due to massive reality shifts but some humans had made their way to the wanderer's library. 1985 meets up with them and discusses 3591 with them, who they refer to as either a deserter and or killed in action in relation to an unexplained war. Asking about the war only returned responses that the war should not be discussed and has nothing to do with humans. They also claim that 3591 is a single, consistent entity across all realities in which it appears, which explains why it's seen dead and inactive in every reality visited. In another unique timeline, there doesn't seem to be an apocalypse going on, but 1985 encounters a group of unusually active Foundation personnel. They seem unusually angry and disturbed to encounter 1985, repeatedly referring to themselves as mainline reality, and questioning how 1985 could have accessed mainline reality. They refer to 1985 as a mirror instance, and demand that she remand herself to their custody, but 1985 returns home instead. She does, however, verify that 3591 is present in that timeline, and the Foundation there has built a massive titanium-laced concrete bunker around it. We heard about this encounter from the Mainline Foundation's perspective, so it's interesting to see that they are also very well aware of 3591's existence. Agent Blue, the MTF member that returned last from 3591, says that she doesn't think that 3591 has ever been on earth before. It's an entity, but it's also a machine, and a place, and a structure, and maybe even a world. Humans see it mainly as a humanoid because that's what we're most familiar with. She definitely thinks it's dead, but says that it doesn't die in the same way we do instead leaving behind an imprint. She communicated with this imprint, in a way, but can't really recall much or even describe what she can remember. She also says that it was killed by something else like it, but she doesn't think that it's a god. She knows all about gods, and believes that 3591 is beyond gods, instead describing it as a sign of things to come things we don't understand. Unless they figure out what's going on, their reaction is going to be very stupid. Thankfully, the comatose human eventually woke up after nine months and had some answers. He seems to be an ordinary human in poor health that likely used some anomalous techniques to survive. It's also clear that he came from an alternate universe or parallel dimension. Initially, after waking up, he spoke in several unrecognizable languages and laughed hysterically, before eventually beginning to recognize English phrases and finally returned to fluency. He refuses to give his name, but says that he is a human, coming from a reality largely indistinguishable from this reality, He is aware of the Foundation, although he refuses to clarify his relationship with them. He also claims to have changed his physical and mental form in order to escape, although he doesn't clarify what he was escaping from. He seems to believe that this reality is his home reality, and so far the Foundation hasn't tried to dissuade him of this belief. He claims to not remember the details of how he ended up in 3591, ...but says that it wasn't a surprise. He says that he's a stowaway, just like everything else in 3591. He can't explain what 3591 is to them, as even showing them the things he's seen would break their minds. And in the end, it doesn't matter. He says that the giant isn't special, comparing it to a woman stepping on an anthill. To the ants, the woman is the biggest thing that's ever happened to them. But the woman isn't special, as there are plenty of things in the world bigger than the woman. It's just that the anthill is even less special. He says that the giant isn't dangerous, since it's dead. Or at least, it's not dangerous on purpose. He tells the Foundation to re-examine their data if they think that it's causing apocalypses. He then goes on to discussing the war that killed the giant, describing it as a war being fought by things we can't even understand. This giant, even though it's bigger than gods to us humans, is just the lowest of the low, faceless army grunt in this war. It didn't come here for any special reason. It was just killed in battle and fell to earth. He moves on to discussing World War One and how terrified the soldiers must have been upon first seeing the effects of mustard gas, or the first tank. He says that we're not the soldiers, we're not even the civilians watching as their homes burn. Instead, we're just the rats and mice whose nests the tanks crushed on their way to the battlefield, or the rabbits whose burrows were accidentally filled with mustard gas, or the bugs crushed beneath soldiers' feet on their way back to the trenches. The rats, rabbits, and bugs may believe that the soldiers and tanks exist just to destroy them, but they're just stupid, like we are. He then says that he knows all about the worm and Project Palisade, and says that he knows what they think the worm is, because he used to think it too. ...that the worm is some sort of ultimate destroyer god. He claims that it's not though... ...instead comparing it to a military drone strike... ...one that misses and hits some random civilians. The worm wasn't ever even aimed at us... ...as the gods above gods above gods fired it at something actually important... ...and missed. From what he's learned... The worm isn't even on the level of a missile, comparing it instead to a thrown rock in a war that uses bullets and tanks and nukes, and it just so happened to ricochet in our direction. And because we're human, and they're the foundation, they devised a way to keep the rock bouncing mindlessly around us, maybe forever. It'll never stop bouncing, because we aren't even on the level where we could just step aside and avoid it. He says that he left all of this behind, hitching a ride on one of these faceless grunts to slip away from humanity. He then realizes that he's not actually in the mainline reality, and he's been telling all of this to one of the mirror timelines. He ceases to speak from then on. And so, the foundation we're accustomed to continues on in ignorance of their place in the hierarchy of realities. Just one of countless foundations created by one that believes itself to be the one true foundation. Whether or not it is or isn't, isn't really relevant, as they likely all believe they're from the mainline reality. Truth be told, there might even be more than one that's pumping out countless mirror timelines. The foundation behind Project Palisade will continue to make new timelines in order to keep the worm from destroying them, as well as utilizing them for all sorts of testing. The Project Palisade documentation implies that all of the various canons and scenarios that we're familiar with are just products of the mainline foundation's testing, and they're going to continue testing out various... Doomsday scenarios, just for the purpose of maybe drawing in some other deific entities that can deal with the worm for them. All the while, they're nothing but the most insignificant of insects compared to the entities doing war above them. They've put up a workable palisade to defend against the rock thrown in their direction, but they're certainly not prepared if the bombs start falling.